so fun to be together. Thank you for being here. I'm excited. I'm excited for what God has, has for us today. So as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, I was uh, thinking about this. Uh, yesterday we had a Celebration of Life service for Pat Peterson. Uh, she was a dear sister. I'm going to miss her, her smile, her warmth. We have these flowers up here, uh, just remembering that. But, and she, was a, she was a worshiper here. But one of the things that struck me yesterday as I was uh, in the service was just the brevity of life. Uh, I just talked to her the week before, and, and uh, I was thinking about, you know, the reality is for all of us, life, life is short. And the Bible invites us to wisdom when we reflect on that, reflect on that reality that, that life is short. And so in light of that, in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the question that I think Jesus is asking is what kind of person are we going to be? Uh, what defines our happiness, our success, our fulfillment? And at the very end of the sermon, Jesus gives a, an illustration on building. He says, in a sense, we're building our lives. And he talks about a foolish builder and a wise builder. And so we could ask ourselves this morning, what kind of life are we building? What kind of life are you building? And I don't know where you're at this morning. I think a lot of you are probably in different places. Some of you might be really tired this morning and just thinking, uh, you know, life is weary. Some of you may have some significant problems this morning. Some of you may be saying, I'm, I'm in a great place. I've got it made right now. Maybe you're here and you have family struggles. Maybe your health is deteriorating. Maybe you've had a loss in your life, whether a friendship, maybe a death of a friend, a loved one. Maybe your car <laughs> broke down. Maybe it's a job change or loss. But the reality, I think, of the Sermon on the Mount is whatever place we're in in our lives, the words of Jesus are inviting, are speaking that blessing is possible. Blessing is possible. Jesus came with a message of blessing. Now, here's the good news. Since God is good, purely good, he tells us he didn't come into this world to, to condemn you, to guilt us, to shame us, to abandon us. The Bible is very clear. God sent Jesus into this world to save us, <laughs> to save. That's why he came. Because, because he is good, he cares about where you're at, how you're doing. He cares about your satisfaction. He cares about your fulfillment. He cares about you no matter what circumstances you find yourself. That's the good news of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is declaring blessing, and it's available. It's available to us no matter where we find ourselves. So building is an interesting idea. Um, some of you have built houses. Some of you have remodeled houses. We just uh, went through a, a project remodeling a house, and, and I don't know if you guys are like me, but I'm the kind of person where I see uh, a job, and I think, I can do that. I can figure that out. And we have this thing, my wife and I, because every once in a while the pipes will leak or something will happen, and I say, I can fix that. And my wife always says, Ben, you can't. <laughs> Get help. <laughs> and she has good reason for saying, I can't, because there's been many times where I've tried, 
and failed. And without fail, I will not get it quite right, and it will still leak, and we will call a plumber. The plumber will come in, and he'll fix it right. He'll do a good job and get it done and, and, and do it well. And so I think that's an analogy, I think, for our lives. If we think about what kind of life are we building, many of us have that attitude that, hey, I got it. I got this. But maybe like me, you too have realized beyond just plumbing, but just in life, that we do fail and we fall. And I believe what Jesus is inviting us to is to allow him to build in us and with us. Jesus is inviting us to build our lives in him and with him. He loves you. He loves you. He loves and he wants to bless you more than you could ever imagine. Would you stand with me this morning as we read in Matthew chapter 5? And we're going to read out loud all together verses 1 through 8. Now this morning we're going to be primarily in verse 8, but I think it's neat to, to read this whole section. So starting in verse 1, let's read all together out loud. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You may be seated. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So pure or purity is an interesting idea. One of the things that uh, we're going to find going through the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is going to offend all of us. <laughs> in fact, if we get through this entire Sermon on the Mount series and you're not offended, then I would question if you've really listened. <laughs> because remember, Jesus is flipping the script. He's helping us rethink. In fact, he begins by preaching, repent, change your thinking, change your behavior. And so God is inviting us to a new way of life. And that means we're going to have to change some things. He wants to transform some things. And I think this idea of pure and purity is one of those issues that can create a lot of offense, a lot of misunderstanding. Uh, I remember as a kid uh, growing up in South America, uh, I, I had free reign with my friends and we would go out in the neighborhood, explore and run around in the streets and spend a lot of time uh, just playing and messing around. But we would always get thirsty and so we would look for water. And so we would find a hose or a faucet, and we would drink, and we would keep, keep going, right? And we felt good about that. Well, in my ignorance, because the water looked clean, I thought it was pure. And most of you, how many of you drank water this morning? Most, everyone drank some water? Good. I hope you keep drinking water, okay? And most of you, and I would, I would hope 100% of you, drank pure water, water that was good for you. Now, as a kid, I found out not all water that looks clean is really pure. And 
often I would feel good for a while, but then my stomach would start to ache, and then I would have lots of problems, and I would have to go to the doctor, and I would have to take these gigantic pills because the doctor would tell me that I had parasites and amoeba and all kinds of things living in my body that came through water, impure water. And so we know this. We know the reality that water, food, lots of things. In fact, some of you maybe have jewelry on. You care about the purity of that gold, that jewelry, because it, it matters a lot in the value, right? And so we know about purity in that sense. There's a physical sense that we understand purity. Jesus is going to be talking about that reality of purity but beyond just the, the natural, physical reality of it, but he's talking about a way of being human that is good, that is free from corruption, and free from what is not good and not true. Now, if I walk into any university or many places in our culture and I say, there is a pure way of being human, I'm probably going to have something thrown at me or something yelled at me. People don't like that message. In fact, it's a very offensive message message in our culture right now. The idea that somehow there is a right, true, pure way of being and not being is extremely offensive in our culture. And so we find that Jesus is presenting a different reality. Because in our world, we have this reality that we think we can kind of define what is true, which is good, which is right, which is pure. And we self-determine. In fact, uh, there's been a huge shift in our culture in this area, especially in the area of law, where it used to be law was deeply based in a, in, a, in a moral, what we would say, God, authority and a natural law. But now, much of law is thought of not in that term, but in terms of public sentiment, popularity, people's thinking of what is good or right. And that changes. And we've seen huge shifts in our culture about being human and what is pure, what is right, what is good. And our laws have reflected a shift in thinking where now public sentiment holds sway on what we would say is pure, right, and good. So what happens when that, when, when that happens? And like what's happening in our culture? Well, Romans 1 and 2 describe this reality, and it's not new. This is the human condition, the human condition apart from God. Romans chapter 1 and 2. In fact, I would say the whole book of Romans is a, a beautiful, in-depth commentary on what Jesus is really presenting to us on the Sermon on the Mount, the truth of who Jesus is and what he wants to do in our lives and our world. But Romans 1 and 2 kind of, describes the reality of human beings saying no to God, rejecting His purity, His truth, His goodness, and saying, we're going to figure it out on our own. We're going to define our own reality. In Romans 1, this is described as suppressing the truth. Suppressing the truth. So Romans 1 tells us all of creation made by God communicates the evidence of God's existence and who He is. His very nature is, is interwoven in the very creation and we see evidence of God in nature and creation. And Romans 1 tells us that because people rejected God, they suppressed the evidence of that truth. 
In fact, it says they neither glorified him nor gave him thanks. And so they said, no thank you, God. Rather, they exchanged the glory of God for other images. Other images. And so what this is describing is the human condition where we say no to God and we say, I'm going to define my own reality. I'm going to determine for myself what is true, what is pure. But Romans 1 and 2 tells us God is the kind of God who does not force, he does not make us, rather he allows us, he gives us freedom. And so he gave them over to their desire, to their want. And so what John talks about this in the terms of lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Basically, God said, if you guys want to pursue those things, go for it. And it describes how humanity has pursued its passions, its desires, its wants. And this is evident in sexual desire as, as we exchange what God's purpose and his design for this, and we've changed that and pursued other things and what that causes is the destruction of the human being but it's not just sexuality it talks about wickedness evil greed depravity envy murder strife deceit malice gossip slander god-hating insolent arrogant boastful disobeying parents no faithfulness not keeping your word no love no mercy and so Romans 1 and 2 kind of describes the human condition. And you just have to read the newspaper or just look at within yourself and see the evidence of the conflict and the destruction that this has caused to our world. But we're all sitting in church this morning. And so the danger here is we might think, hey, we're, that's out there, but we're doing pretty good. But Romans 2 tells us really clearly that even in religiosity, there's a pursuit of self outside of God. And that our, our condition as human beings is not dependent if we're religious or not. It's our complete failure to recognize the truth of who God is. And so even in religiosity, there's great pain and damage done and self-seeking. And it is also a reflection of a rejection of God. So Romans 1 and 2 kind of paints this reality. So how do we know what is good, what is pure, what is true? So some of you parents here have maybe had this conversation in your families. I know this is a often uh, frequent conversation in my family where my kids say, Dad, I want some candy. I want some candy. And uh, this conversation has gone where they have... Uh, one of my kids have said, Dad, when I get uh, older and I leave the house, I'm going to eat candy every day, <laughs> whenever I want. <laughs> and I said, son, that, that's great. Go for that. But until that day, I love you, and I'm not going to give you candy every day, <laughs> right? So kids see candy, and they want it, and it tastes good, and it seems good. But I love my kids, and I know you parents here love your kids, and you know that that's not what's best for them. You know that if they eat candy every day, they won't develop, they won't form. In fact, their body will begin to fall apart. And so you know what's best for them. And you know that candy every day is not best for them. I think in the same way God is good, He is pure, 
and he invites us to become his followers. And, and my prayer for my kids <laughs> is that they wouldn't just not eat candy because I tell them to or because I enforce that rule because the reality is they could continue to sneak it or one day grow up and eat candy all the time when they leave the house. <laughs> and the reality is I am praying for a heart change, that they would desire what is good, that they would love what is good for their bodies, what is good for them. And I think this is what God wants for us. Because he loves us, he wants us to understand truth and reality according to how he's made everything, how he's made you, how he's made this world. And if God is truly good, and I believe that with all my heart, that God is essentially in every way completely good, that he wants the best for you. He wants the best for us. And if he is the definition of pure, and he is purity in its most essential form, then he is going to show us what is good and best for us. In the Old Testament, there was this longing for God, this longing to see God, to know God. And I believe that longing is in every human heart, but it's revealed to us in Scripture through different people. One of those people was Moses. And Moses uh, was used by God to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. And this community of people didn't really know how to live, how they were going to function. And so God, in his mercy and his grace, reveals his law. He reveals who he is and how they can live and flourish. And he promises them a good land. And so at Mount Sinai, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments because he wants what's best for the people of Israel. But on that mountain in Exodus 33, Moses asks a question. He says to God, show me your glory. In essence, Moses was saying, God, I want to see you. I want to know you. In verse 19, and it's on the screens, the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Now, now catch that. God's glory is his goodness. <laughs> you see, God is good. He is perfectly good in every way. And he says, I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy. Remember last week, Bill told us that God is mercy. He personifies, embodies what mercy is. That is who God is, on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion. God in his, in his essential nature is compassionate. He cares. He's unselfish. He loves people on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one, no one may see me and live. This reveals to us the nature of God as good, merciful, compassionate, but pure. <laughs> so pure that, that Moses would die in the presence of God. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe God has made this earth? Do you believe it? The world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. And here's the same question. The same question that Moses asked. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy 
place. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Does that sound like the words of Jesus? Blessed are the pure in heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. And in the prophet Isaiah, we're told, came into the presence of God, and the angels were singing, holy, 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 and Isaiah came into the presence of God, and it says he fell on his knees before God, and he says, woe to me, because I am a man of unclean lips. So here's the reality. God is pure. He defines purity in all its goodness, in all its beauty, and all that it is. But the reality that Romans 1 and 2 paints is that none of us are. None of us are. And so we cannot stand in the presence of God on our own. But here's the good news of Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart. Because Jesus is declaring that being in the presence of God is now possible, not based on outward conformity to a law or religion, because in fact, Isaiah says, all of our good works are like filthy rags. Rather, God is looking at the heart, the inward being of the person. You see that? Blessed are the pure in heart. So we're not talking about outward conformity because the reality is none of us measure up to that. The Bible says God is holy. He is pure in every way. We cannot stand in his presence and live. But blessed are the pure in heart. God looks at the heart. And this is what Jesus is after. This is what he cares about. He knows you. He formed you. He cares about your will, that innermost part of you that makes decisions, that has desire, that has love. God sees that. He knows that. And he doesn't want your outward conformity. He wants your heart. He wants your very being. And he's inviting us to that because he wants all of us to build lives that flourish, that are fulfilled, that are satisfied. And we cannot find that outside of God. We must talk about the heart. And we must talk about God's love for our hearts. Because <laughs> that's what he's after. So this past week, uh, for whatever reason, I had a, a, some songs in my head. And I, I started thinking about an artist that my parents listened a lot to. But I remember as a kid hearing some of these songs by a guy named Keith Green. Some of you remember, and there's no family connection to me, but he, he had a, a life that was fascinating. And I, I went back this week, and I, I watched a documentary about his life, and it, and it struck me that he reflected a, a, a passion and a, be a beautiful desire for God and his glory and his life. But his life wasn't always that way. In fact, he didn't grow up in a Christian home. He grew up in a home uh, where there was really an aspiration for, for fame and wealth. And he was a very talented musician from a very young age. And he, he was kind of uh, on this road to stardom here in America. And, and he, uh, that kind of fell through and he pursued different religions like Buddhism and Eastern religions. He pursued all kinds of sex and drugs. He, he was basically a hippie, right, in the 60s, 70s, just kind of experimenting and all those things. But he, was, he had a great desire to figure out reality, what was true, what was right, what was good. 
And then he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. <laughs> and on this documentary, several people who knew him from before and then after he came to know Jesus said his life was completely turned upside down and transformed by Jesus. He found what was true, what was good, what was pure, what was right. And his life was completely changed. But out of that, he wrote a song. And I want to read you some of these lyrics because I, I think it reflects what this what Jesus is talking about. And this is what he says. He says, like a foolish dreamer trying to build a highway to the sky. He, he was trying to build his own life. All my hopes would come tumbling down and I never knew just why until today. When you pulled away the clouds that hung like curtains on my eyes, well, I've been blind all these wasted years and I thought I was so wise, but you took me by surprise. All my life I've been searching for that crazy missing part and with one touch you just rolled away the stone that held my heart. And now I see the answer was as easy as just asking you in. And I'm so sure I could never doubt your gentle touch again. It's like the power of the wind. It's like waking up from the longest dream. Oh, how real it seemed until your love broke through. <laughs> I've been lost in a fantasy that blinded me until your love, until your love broke through. You see, Keith Green discovered what, what I pray each of you and I discover is that God wins our hearts with his love. <laughs> God cares about your heart. He cares about my heart. And he wins us over with his love. And the result of that is transformation. It's purity. It's purity in heart. And the promise is we will see God. <laughs> what Moses longed for, what the psalmist prayed for, what Isaiah came to, we can now experience because of Jesus. Jesus makes purity of heart possible. And we discover that all those other desires that we chase, those things we want, are nothing in comparison to God himself. That God is the treasure. He's the one that completes us. He's the one who made us. He's the one that formed us. He knows us. And it's in him that we discover true reality and true purity. I wasn't planning on sharing that this, mor this this morning, but I was just reading through the Psalms this morning and praying, and, and this Psalm 63 gripped my heart in light of this, and it became my prayer for my own heart, and it's my prayer for us here as a church. And it says, you, God, are my God, and I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry in parched land, there is no water. But hear, hear this promise. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. Can you say that this morning in your heart? That God, your love is better than life. And my lips, they will glorify you and I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands and I will be satisfied. We can be satisfied in God as the richest of foods and with singing in my mouth, I will praise you. The worship team's gonna come up. Let's praise him this morning.